What's cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Cat and Cloud podcast. This week, oh man, if you like culture, if you like learning, if you like engagement, hey, you might want to go ahead, take that volume knob, take that volume button on your phone, just tap the up, just tap, tap, tap it up. Jared and I sit down and talk with Jonathan Raymond. Jonathan Raymond is the author of Good Authority and the CEO of Refound. Refound isn't really a consulting company. It's not a business development company. They're more of like these cultural explorers that go into different workplaces and organizations and help those people identify the thread that is their culture and how they how they spread that throughout the organization, focusing on a common language around accountability that works for everybody and creating a workplace that invites high performance by embracing the whole human. We talk about a ton of stuff that relates to to where we're going because Jared actually connected with Jonathan and brought him and his team in to do a little bit of a discovery with Cat and Cloud. So we have this little working relationship going. We also talk about the book a lot and the book's amazing because it addresses the two parts of each human. There's the the work aspect to your life and the human or personal aspect of your life and Jonathan believes that those things are going to be just more of what they could be that you're going to be more optimized if you can find some overlap in those. And that's really what will make people shine. So it was really exciting to have the refound team at cat and cloud at all the locations talking with the staff. They did a bunch of interviews. They gathered a bunch of data. We recently reviewed the data and are excited about implementing some of the suggestions and figuring out some ways to, to move through some things that that might be some, some bottlenecks for us, because as much as we try to play forward, we're never above asking for help, and we want information from all angles. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. Hey, if you enjoy it a lot, you might as well subscribe. You might as well rate. You might as well review. You know why? Because I need something to smile about in the morning, and that would make me happy. So enjoy this one with Jonathan Raymond, and we'll see you all soon. Peace. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable and they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. Jared just told me a weird fun fact that you actually worked for Noble Coffee Roasters. I did. For a period of time. I did. For three months in 2009. Grossly overqualified, <laughs> yet wanted to get in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It was just fascinating to me. And I had like a, I had a Rancilio that I got at home and I was just geeking out on, you know, how to be good at making coffee. Man, okay. <laughs> I, know, I, right? I guess we're just gonna go into it. You went to law school. I did, yes. right? Yes. So Drop it. Explain to me, just so I can get a base. So you've been spending more time with Jared than myself. But for people that are listening, mm. uh, you're most known for writing the book Good Authority. Your company is called Refound. But how, how are we talking to this person who worked in a coffee shop in Ashland, Oregon, for a few months? Went to school for law and. Now you're doing this, like yeah, like let's rewind for a second. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. So I uh, I went to the Bay Area in 2000. There was a dot com boom, uh, which we sort of were there around the same time. Right. Uh, the sort of the dot com boom of 2000, and I was there. And then I had started a wind energy company, uh, and it all just you know it just went all all off the rails in like 2007, 2008, when the markets fell apart. And uh, so I found myself in San Francisco with a fairly expensive apartment uh, without a job. And uh, the prospect of looking for another job in the Bay Area at that time was not very appealing. Uh, so I left, uh, I moved to Ashland, Oregon, Southern Oregon. Um, and I just, I just didn't want to do what I was doing up to that point in my life. And I didn't know what I wanted to do next. 
uh, and I happened to be living uh, around the corner from uh, Noble Coffee and got a job there uh, doing whatever they needed me to do for a while while I was figuring out the next phase of my life. How did you pick Ashland? Was it just the polar opposite of, because it's really known for, they have the Shakespeare Festival there, right. it's a really <laughs> mellow place to be. Yeah. Yeah, I had this fantasy, you know, being in the city. I was I grew up in New York and I spent a lot of time in San Francisco and I had this sort of like hippie slash hipster fantasy of like living in a small town and I was going to meet my wife, which I did actually, but I was we were going to have this cute little house and we we're going to live in the country and it was all going to be very mellow and relaxed and life was going to be perfect. So that was kind of my fantasy of going to live in a small town of 20,000 people in Southern Oregon. And then when you moved there, you knew you didn't want to do what you were doing, but did you have any idea which direction you were going or? Sort of. So I had spent about 15 years kind of bouncing back and forth between professional growth and personal growth. Like, and I would say like a lot of people in hindsight, I, I can see how those two paths were coming together. But at the time I was just kind of all over the place. So I would be, you know, starting businesses, running businesses, working for other people by day. But at night and on the weekends, I was a personal and spiritual growth junkie. So doing workshops and seminars and meditation and yoga and mindfulness and somatic psychotherapy and deep trauma work, like anything and everything that I could get my hands on. But I was bouncing between the two and I never could, I never felt like they went together. Um, and so I, I knew I could sort of loosely in the outlines of my future, I saw like somehow, someday, some way, I'm going to make these two worlds go together. Do you think... Oh, go ahead, Jerry. No, 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 go first, because I think mine is going to follow that question, it feels like. <laughs> I, <laughs> what I'm coming to realize just recently is something that might be painfully obvious, is that at least for me in my journey, and maybe, Jared, you can echo this too, is that no matter how much I invested in my professional growth, nothing actually worked without also investing in my <laughs> personal growth. Right. And those things for my journey had been separated for like my whole career yes, and same. kind of came to a head to where I wasn't where I wanted to be. I mm -hmm. didn't know how to get where I wanted to be, but even on a deeper level than that, even though I was really good at my job and if anyone was to look from the outside, be like, Oh yeah, that guy's successful or those guys are doing right. it. Mm. I didn't really feel centered or even happy. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big issue. No, my question, it is kind of a follow-up, was when did you start seeing, like, the fruits of those two paths starting to come together? When did you start seeing clarity in, in that, that future of bringing personal and professional growth together as kind of, like, it was going to happen? It was, well, it actually turned out to be uh, kind of my dark night of the soul is what, when it emerged was it really all fell apart for me. I was a CEO of a company, and it, we, the company was fine, but I wasn't fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, my marriage was on the rocks. This was like the love of my life who I met. And I had been single the better part of, you know, kind of my 20s and 30s. So I was not happy about the fact that my marriage was, was falling apart. And, you know, just I, all the markers, all the things you could, like health, you know, just sort of overall, it just wasn't, I wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, and it was at that time that I, I ended up resigning. I was kind of pushed out, but I was ended up resigning uh, from the CEO role. I felt like I am not in the right place in my life. And I was talking with my wife, and, and I was just like, I don't, know, I don't know what I'm missing. I feel like I've spent 15 years, 20 years kind of working on myself, working on, you know, to your point, like working on myself as a professional, trying to get better, and also working on myself personally. And, and I've, I just felt lost. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she's... She's incredibly wise and, and sees me in beautiful ways. And, and she just said, she said, sweetie, I think that's your problem. I think your problem is that you're, you think it's two paths, mm. personal growth and professional growth. What if it's one? What if it's just one journey? And that's why you're in so much pain. Um, and I'll remember that day for the rest of my life. And I just start thinking about like, whoa, what, what if that's true? Like, what would I change? How would I change the way I think about everything? Right, And that was the moment where I started to see what was possible. And then, you know, we, we'll get into it, but in terms of the, what the, what's happening in the world that really right. complements that right now. But that was the moment for me wow. where I, where I decided, and it was a very conscious choice out of a very, very painful time in my life to say, I am not going to split these two anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to be me and anything that if, if it doesn't make sense in both of my worlds, I ain't doing it. Pretty gangster. Good follow-up to what we just launched on the podcast with Julia. If you haven't listened to that, go back. But the other thing that I think I just want to re-say to anybody who might have glided over it is, 
Jonathan just said 20 to 30 years of working on this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is a commitment to both your personal and professional development that a lot of people, I think, find themselves kind of at a loss and maybe give up a little too soon on those things. And so just hearing from somebody who's gone through it now to say those numbers, don't count yourself out of potentially having to lean in for that amount of time as well and know that there's something good on the other side of it. Right. And to tie back into what we talked about last week, which you probably haven't listened to, but that it's okay to show up as yourself. And what you said almost kind of echoes things that you hear a lot of, not a lot of people, but big personalities like Simon Sinek would say, you know, you have one why, one purpose. You are who you are. Mm. And if you're different at work fundamentally than you are at home in one of those places, you're lying. And that's not going to be good for your mental state. Yeah. What what do you do when you have that kind of awareness? So you have this almost epiphanous moment Mm -hmm. like thrust upon you by someone you care about deeply and and it resonates with you. What's the vehicle for that? Where do you Mm. put that energy initially? Uh, Well, I think for me, I've I've been uh, blessed by foolishness, I think, in my life where I just decided that I was going to build a business around it. And I had, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. We were, we were okay. Uh, but I just had to, um, it's, it's just how it's always been for me since I was younger, where when I, when I feel something that strongly, I can't ignore it and I have to do something about it. And so I, um, I was at a time where I, I knew I wanted to leave my current situation and, and work and I wanted to start something new. And so I was just like, I was just all in and that's, that's been how it's always been for me, and it doesn't always work out when I'm all in that way, but in this case, it, uh, it, it, did, it did. What was step one? Did you know that you wanted to have a company that does consulting for people's leadership, or did you know I had what no tools idea. you were going to use? I had no idea, and I really, um, I, just, I just started out, and I, I believe it or not, I just started kind of like blogging a little bit, building, building a website with not really, really any grand plan to it, and I didn't know. I thought, like, well, am I building a personal growth you know, philosophy? Am I building a business consultancy? Am I going to do training? I knew that I didn't want to build a coaching company for a lot of reasons. Right. I, had a, I had experience kind of running a coaching company. And while I believe in coaching, I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with coaching we can talk about. Um, so I didn't really know. what I didn't know what people were going to respond to and how they were, uh, how they were going to interpret what I was saying. And it was really the first time in my life as an entrepreneur. I had been an entrepreneur a couple of times, but it was the first time where I actually built a business by listening mm. and figuring out what is it that people want? What, is, what are the words that they use uh, to describe what I'm talking about? What is their language for this? How, is, how would they describe this problem? And I didn't know like which parts I started thinking about writing the book, and I didn't know which were the pieces that people would go like, yeah, that, that's me. I have that problem. I'm really interested in, in how you might solve it. So you got your blog going, and I'm wondering to myself, how did you, where did you get the people's questions? Where did you start hearing from? Like, what were the platforms? Where were these? Where was your exposure? How yeah. did that happen? So I, uh, I was pretty fortunate early on. I had, I had somewhat of a reputation in the space. Okay. Uh, so people came over naturally and, you know, started to get some followers, and people were sharing things. And, and what happened was there's a... Um, there's some underground, anyone who knows kind of the HR world, there's, a, there's an underground world of HR leaders because they're marketed to all the time. They're tired of being sold stuff. But there are these underground email lists where they share like the best stuff with each other. Uh. And somehow somebody was reading my stuff and shared it and said, hey, what this guy's talking about, this is the stuff that I think mm. we really need to get onto. And, th- and then it just kind of mushroomed from there. And so awesome. then the phone started ringing and people started saying, hey, that's, we're, we're struggling with those types of things around accountability, around mm-hmm. personal ownership. Uh, I've never heard you articulate it in, I've never heard anyone articulate it in precisely the way that you do. Uh, and that's really interesting. How mm-hmm. does it work? Yeah. And then they would say, uh, you know, do you do workshops? Um, yeah, sure. We do workshops. Do you do, do you work with leadership teams? Totally. We totally do that. And <laughs> For sure. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> do that. Um, do you do culture consulting? Yes, we do. Culture. And so we just kind of evolved and then we figured out, you know, what we actually do and what we're actually good at. Right. Time. I'm curious as to what you consider coaching and mm. how for a lot of people listening, a lot of those things that you just described, that sounds like coaching. What's your love right. hate relationship with coaching? So my, I have this sort of internal mantra is that leaders need sentences, not sessions. And mostly what, like most people, what they need is like, what do I need? What do I do next? What's the thing that I need? I have this difficult conversation or I have this situation. 
I can't see 10 steps ahead of me. I can't even see one. Just what is the, what's one intervention that I can do? That doesn't take an hour. That doesn't take 90 minutes. It definitely doesn't take like spending an entire weekend, you know, doing radical personal transformation. I'm not against spending the weekend doing radical personal transformation, but that's mostly not what people need. Our organizations are moving so fast. The world is moving so fast. Our customers' needs are changing so fast. Mostly what I need is I need to do, I need to know what to do next, and I need to know, understand how to do that in the context of my organization and its values and whatever our current objectives are. And so mostly, again, I think coaching is incredibly valuable, uh, but to me, coaching is, uh, that's the, the, the right place for that. It has, to be, it has to be in the right moment, right? I don't think, it's like, I don't think people should be in therapy for their whole life. It should be like, hey, I really need help with something that I'm struggling with. But the risk is, and the, the hate part of it, is I think it creates a dependency, mm. in particular with leaders. And my objection to it is we're spending a lot of money on, uh, we're spending a lot of money on leadership coaching, executive coaching, and it tends, the money tends to flow really strongly to the top of the org chart, uh, which is mostly men, and there's not, a, not nearly enough dollars uh, spread in a diverse way across an organization. So I would rather see a, li a little bit of coaching spread over a far greater number of people mm. than very intensive, you know, not, not, um, not, not worthy of doing, but it's just, it's too much attention. It's too much focus on the people on the top of the org chart and not enough effort and intention uh, and really care about, well, how do we help everybody here who's in a leadership role grow? Is that a result of just history or like, why does it always flow upward? Like why do executives spend a ton of money getting themselves coaching and not the people underneath them. I think it's a it's it's a an element of privilege in a certain way, right? It's mm -hmm. like, hey, I've I've got the budget. No one's going to question if I decide I want to spend three thousand dollars a month like on a coach, or you know, five thousand dollars a week on this sem or, or five thousand dollars on this seminar. I don't really have a check on myself. I can I sort of have that influence, um, and I have that authority, right? And so um, most of the time, it's a matter of like, well, I can, and it seems useful to me. And, uh, there's plenty of people out there that'll take your money if you, if you want to spend that, that money on that. Um, so I think there's, there, historically, there's a, there's a bit of that in the mix. Uh, but I also think there's just not enough of a, um, there's not enough infrastructure built into the organization to listen to what are the needs that everybody else has. Mm. And so I think that we're, I actually think this is the moment we're in right now where uh, we're taking a more egalitarian approach to leadership development, manager, manager training, and everybody is actually embodying something that's not new information that's like, hey, you know, guess what? Uh, you know, most of the people in the organization don't work for you if you're the CEO. Most of them work for their manager. Mm. And, you know, the data is pretty clear. 78% of people, when they leave their job, it's because of the manager, not because of the company. Um, and so I think we're, I don't think that's new information in a certain way, but I think we're acting on it in a new way now. Yeah, there must be some sort of understanding. There's something sinking in that's saying, like, this hasn't been working in the way we've yeah. been doing it in the past. And, I mean, I know that's been a passion of ours is just... Knowing from the beginning that we are imperfect as owners, we're going to do a good job with what we're going to do a good job with. But at the end of the day, like, we are not going to be the reason personally that our company grows. Right. You know, it's going to be everybody else. And we can't pretend that we're the, the freaking godshot champions right. of the world. Well, and, and so we had to figure out how to work with that. And what, it, what does that look like? Yeah. You know? and, I, and I think I, we're... We're in this moment right now, right? We're, we're talking, it's March of 2019. Right. And the, what people want from their employer is off the charts yeah. compared to what it's ever been before. So when people say like, well, you know, well, I'm an expert on leadership. No, you're not. There are no experts on leadership in 2019 in this culture with what people want. Mm -hmm. you, hopefully you're learning, right? Yeah. But what people are expecting from their employer People, what people put in surveys, which I love, what, what millennials have driven, but it's not the millennials, it's where we are as a culture right now, right. where people are saying, look, we're effectively zero unemployment. Like, if you're talented, if you're smart, you can get a job, right? In, at least in the United States and most, and, and a lot of other places. And people are saying, look, I want to know how am I going to become a better version of myself mm -hmm. for as long as I'm working from you, whether that's six months or six years. And if you don't 
show me a clear path for what that's going to look like and how you're going to develop me, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that has, I mean, there are, there's always been people who think that way, but that's everywhere now. That's in every organization from, you know, fortune five companies that we work with to small startups and everything in between. Everyone's saying, look, I want more. I want much more from my manager, my leader. So the bar of what counts for good leadership Mm -hmm. is way higher than it's ever been before. And in an environment where there's effectively zero unemployment for talented people, what does that tell? I mean, for organizations, it's like, hey, we got to up our game. We got to do it fast. When you notice, you know, you're connecting with all these different levels of organizations, what's the stress level like for the leaders in those organizations who are starting to recognize like that writing's on the wall and we've got this extremely large what potentially extremely large gap from where we'd like to be and where we are now. Like what, what are they asking? What's the mindset like, you know, like what are you noticing in that, Mm -hmm. in that sector? Well, I think that there's a, what typically happens, and this is even in very large companies, there's a typically a bandwidth of people at the top, so to speak, who care deeply about the company who are, you know, sort of big institutional knowledge holders and they, they really care and they really see, but they have the luxury of kind of that, that vista that they're in, mm. and then you have the frontline staff, and you have the, the you have really the vast middle. Even in a smaller organization, you've got sort of the vast middle of of people managers that are in a ton of overwhelm. Right, mm-hmm. they, I have too many projects. I have too many emails. I have forty seven logins. I've got eighty two different meetings. Whatever it is, where do I turn? Like, where do I go to first? Yeah. And so the the what we feel is the hunger for simplicity. Right, and like the best part of our world is also the worst part of our world, right? So the best part of our world is I can go to Google and I can learn anything. There are 37,000 books on leadership on Amazon, 37,000, right? So that's amazing. I can learn anything I want. How do I choose? Yeah. And so what a lot of our clients are looking to is like, help me curate, help me focus, help us decide, okay, what are the one or two things that we want to be known for as a leadership culture. So that's a lot of what the hunger that we're feeling. And I, I like to think of it as like, there's this massive buffet out there of what you could do, but we all mostly know the buffet is not really good for your health, right? It's actually better to have a plan for what you're going to eat and how you're going to approach that and approach it with some some rigor. Right. And uh, I think that's a little bit of a legacy of uh, the way L&D, it's typically been handled as kind of this other function embedded in HR. Oh, that's where the, those are the people that source learning. And more and more now it's like, no, we need our head of marketing to be leading learning. We need our head of sales to be leading learning. We need our head of ops to be leading learning. And that's gotta be in the organization Mm -hmm. with the people who have social capital. The days of kind of, you know, bringing in trainers who don't understand the business, who don't understand the people, like that's that's not gonna work. Have you read the Basecamp book? Uh, I read Rework. Oh, okay. Uh, but I don't think I read their... Uh, the newer one. It doesn't have to be crazy at work. Okay. It's amazing. It describes a lot of what you just described. Oh, nice. As far as we have, you know, as you say, this buffet. We can kind of do whatever we want. Technology gives us the ability to focus on, not focus on, but attempt to try to do a million things at once. And the kind of thesis for their book is advocating for maybe biting off a little bit less and being strong advocates for what they call a calm workplace. Mm where people have a few really large projects that they're into. They're moving the needle every time they do something. And some people look at that book, and because I've, I've kicked it out to a bunch of people, mm. and they're in, the, they're in the technology space. So, you know, <laughs> they make their, their Basecamp software. That's the only thing they make. And the most overwhelming feedback I get from that is people look at it and they say, well, that's easy for them. They can do <laughs> their work with just a few people. They can do it anywhere. It's... It's not the same for me. It's right. not the same for us in retail. It's not the same for a thousand employees. And I'm like, you're actually wrong. It is the same because every it's just a function of what you choose to spend your time working on. Right. Yes. And most uh, leaders in one of the archetypes I talk about in the book is the fighter archetype, where which is you find in a lot of entrepreneurs. Hey, what if we did it this way? What if we did that? And what those entrepreneurs often fail to appreciate is how much work that creates for other people. Right. So you're, <laughs> you know, you're the you're a partner in a business. Yo, or you're like, that's me. Everybody, I'll claim it. You send it. one email weird. that turns into 14 email thread and 16 projects and 47 meetings, and you just you don't realize it because you just like. Oh, I didn't say let's go do it. You're right. like, I just thought it was a cool idea. Such a learning lesson for me when I realized I can't really casually mention things. No. Because yeah, a yeah. casual mention from the boss, it sounds like an order to everybody right. else. And so, so this is what I think is so critical that we have to get better at as a culture is what you just described. 
some people would say, not me, but some people would say like, oh, well, you're not, but then you're not being authentic. Mm -hmm. You absolutely are. You're, you're acknowledging, hey, here's what's right in this moment. Yes, you had that idea and some version of yourself you would be able, in some, there's some universe maybe out there somewhere where you get to say whatever you want, do whatever you want, whenever you want it. And, and some people think, well, that's authenticity. That's not authenticity. No, no. What you described is authenticity. And there's, there's a difference between full transparency and authenticity to where we have special people in our lives. Like for me, one of them is my wife and I can be as honest with her at any time as I want. And there are no repercussions for that. And there, there are times in people that you have these special relationships with. I don't need to divulge all of those same things to all my employees because there's a ton of negative effects from that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to do more harm than it does good. And it would be selfish for me to just charge in the room and be like, guess what, guys? I can say anything I want to right. my employees and right. we're all good. Then there's I'm a, just an asshole. <laughs> there's a uh, <laughs> distinction that we make between informational transparency and emotional transparency. Yes. And a lot of times we don't we don't define our words well enough in our world, right? Most employees they don't want to know every line item on your balance sheet. They don't need to see all the detail down to the decimal point. That's not the kind of transparency they actually want. What they want is emotional transparency. They want to know where you stand. They want to know where they stand. Mm -hmm. They want to know if there's something that's frustrating you or something that you're worried about. But they don't need to know everything. They don't want to know everything. But making those distinctions between like, well, because we, we use these words like transparency or excellence or professionalism, these magic words. Well, what do we mean by them? And so most organizations could move their culture in a major way just by spending a couple hours together defining their terms. Mm -hmm. What do we mean by transparency here? What do we mean by authenticity? Um, and that's going to be different. There's going to be different flavors of that in different cultures. With so many buzzwords going around and the popularity, not to, not to diminish what you're doing, but there's a thousand people out there who want to offer training, who want to offer coaching, who want to be a consultant, who want to do this. What's, how do you get it to stick? So you're here right yeah. now. You're here for a couple of days. What's the follow-up process yeah. like for people who really want to make a change in their organization? So we, the thing that I think we've become known for is that we're, we really are culture change partners. So we don't, we don't, there's nothing that we do that's out of the box. Uh, we don't believe in out of the box training. We don't think there's no out of the box cultures that we've come across. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we, the, what we, what we've found works is listening and asking questions and meeting with people and building relationships. And so that when we design a program, whether it's a, you know, company like Cat and Cloud or, you know, a ginormous corporation uh, that, that it feels relevant to the people who work there. And mostly when managers show up in a classroom, let's say in a classroom, it's not always in a classroom, is they're like, okay, here we go. Here, right. you know, I, they're, someone's going to talk at me. And, and, and so the, reason, the way we make it stick is we are actually talking about scenarios and conversations that they struggle with, right? So this, and so when we put you know, like things up on the board where we say like, hey, imagine you had a situation like this, we, the folks in the classroom go like, who are these people? <laughs> Who have they been talking to? What, you know, how do they know that I had that conversation like 15 minutes ago? So that's how you make it stick. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be relevant to the work that I do every day, the conversations, and that's where, where we live. There's a million things that you, to back to our buffet thing, there's a million things that I could learn, might want to learn, might be interested in learning, but the thing that is really matters is what are the conversations that I have to have every day and how do I do them well? I've worked for right. a few companies who have brought in different kinds of consultants, whatever you want to call them. The thing that I noticed about you is we're talking right now in this moment, but I haven't talked to you all day. Mm. You've spent most of your day with the crew mm. and most of that asking questions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There is a big difference between that and the, and the same experience. You know, what would happen before is the top of the top and all the people who are in charge of everything go into a room and we all talk about the things that we all know mm. and then theoretically come up with some attack plan while... Right at the exact same time leaving out the basic majority of our entire company right. from the whole conversation. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's a philosophical shift. I, mean, I know we're just on audio, but I think of like whenever we come into an organization and we can only really do this with leaders who are interested is we sort of we take the organization and turn it over and shake it, right? <laughs> so we can get all the needs and wants and fears from all the people who work there because as far as I'm concerned, you work for them. That's true. Right? We agree. You work for them. Your managers work for the people on the front lines. And that's true or should be true or, let's say, could be true no matter the size of the organization. Again, like as we work with organizations with 60,000 employees who have presidents who say, look, I work for them. Now, what do I need to learn? What do I need to know? What are the things that they are, that they are afraid to tell me? That's what I want to know about. And whatever methodology 
that's going to help me get that information faster. That's what I want to know. And so you got to you got to turn over the organization and. I love you guys, you're wonderful people, but I'm gonna get a really skewed perspective on the health of the culture if I just talk to you. Of course. For sure. We actually have a, a diagram that's part of our orientation, which is, if you can imagine out there in podcast world, it's a mountain, mm-hmm. standard triangular looking mountain. Nailed it. And we're at the, <laughs> we're at the base of the mountain yeah. as the ownership team, and we're there to provide structural support and the solid foundation. And then at the top of the mountain is the front line. Mm. And then right above them in the ethos is the guests. Yeah. In lieu of a regular org chart where you see everything where, <clears throat> cool, I'm the owner up mm. here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the most important person. And then someone else is underneath me. And then someone else is underneath them. And then at the very bottom, that's where you live. Welcome. <laughs> you new person. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Good to yeah. have you as part of the family. Can you please yeah. carry me to the front of the class? <laughs> <laughs> And one of the one of the things, you know, just for, for folks out there who are listening is like if you if you're embarking on a culture change project, whoever you're if you're doing that with yourself or you're doing that with someone else, there's a marker that I want you to look out for. It's like if things don't get worse first, you're not doing it right. Right? I'm down the, with that. The first thing that should happen is you should hear a bunch of stuff that's uncomfortable, that you don't want to hear, that you feel like, no, but we already talked about that. Like, because that's the stuff that matters to the people who work in your organization. And so when you start, when you embark on, hey, we want to upgrade our culture. We want to get better at accountability. We want to change the way we do leadership or, and make a culture that's more personal ownership. The first marker that you're on track is you start to hear a bunch of stuff that's uncomfortable, that's awkward, that you didn't want to hear, things that you knew about yourself, but you didn't really want it to be in the spotlight. Congratulations. You're on track. Keep going. I can't wait to see I what comes out of this. <laughs> <gonna be> great. <laughs> We're gonna be staring, oh, I didn't tell you guys about that before. No, I'm then. so ready. Because we're, no, we're, we're already pretty critical of ourselves anyway. It's going to be good to hear like the things that we should really lean into versus the things that perhaps like we could theoretically be self-deprecating on or just like overly focusing on from self-analyzing. Yeah, I, you know? I, I'll guarantee you in advance that you're more critical of things than you need to be, than certain things you need to be. And then there are other things that are like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I would be really interested to know how to get better at that. I just, no one ever showed me how to do it. Yes. Like, that's the world we live in. Okay, so I guess. <laughs> well, no, it just opens it up. I'm like, okay, great. So somebody out there is listening, right? They're going, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I start? How do I, how do I get that for myself? Like, say they don't have the cash money to find somebody to help them. Like, what is some advice you'd give to somebody, whoever, yeah. young manager yeah. who's middle management, who's yeah. like, this is this is my stuff. Yeah. How do I? How do I, what do I do next? So uh, my first advice to anyone who really wants to grow and learn is pick the thing that, well, let me, let me back up a little bit. People, always, people say like, well, should I ask for feedback from my team? I say, no, don't ask for feedback from your team. You actually already know. Just look out. Just pick your head up and look around and listen to some of the things that you've already heard Right? The little jokes people make, the things that they roll their eyes around, like whatever it is the thing that you pick up, we're very pretty sophisticated beings, us humans. Pick one of those things that you think is true, like, oh, I, you know, I probably create too many projects, or I'm a little too chummy with my team, or I'm a little bit too nitpicky. Whatever the thing is that you already know, now I want you to make an assumption. Make an assumption that it's 10 times worse than you think it is. Mm. Rather than minimizing it, maximize it. For your own growth, not to beat yourself up, not to like, you know, pound on yourself like that. But what if, let's say, let's take this idea of like, oh, I, you know, I think I tend to create, I have too many ideas and I don't complete things enough. And my team's kind of like, I think they don't love that about me. Just assume for the purposes of your own growth, they hate that about you and it's driving them nuts. And that's the thing that's going to cause them to leave when they leave. Mm-hmm. That's how you grow as a leader. You don't, that's free. <laughs> you can do that on your own. You don't need an expensive coach. You don't need a consulting company to come. Now, are you going to want some help and some guidance? But you know, guess what? You've got fellow managers. Mm-hmm. Go to them and say, hey, I'm doing this project. I'm working on this thing. And I'm doing this assumption that it's 10 times worse than I think it is. You know, do you want to do that with me? Let's do it together for the next 90 days. So build a self-improvement project by maximizing something that you already suspect or you know is a little bit of a, not necessarily a blind spot because you know it. It's not blind, but it's, a, it's in the shadows. Mm-hmm. How do you bring it out? Maximize it. Don't minimize it. Awesome advice. I have this theory that everyone has, everyone has huge potential and people shouldn't be limited by 
anything, especially whoever their leader happens to be at that current moment. Mm. That being said, communicating things up the chain of command can be really, really tricky. Yes. Is there any advice you have for someone who's young, you know, you're just entering the workforce, you're in that like 18 to 25 year old range, and you, maybe you work at a company like ours, you have big dreams, but you know in your heart of hearts that there's something missing. Like yeah. what's effective communication for that? So there's a couple of pieces that are that I think are important. The first is, to, and you alluded to it in, in your question, is remember that you're at choice. You, not everybody in the world has this luxury, but if you're listening to this, you're at choice for what you do every day. And you have options for the most part. So bring that, say, you know what? I'm making a choice to come to this place of work. This is the company that I'm choosing to put my heart and soul into and my skills on a daily basis. Uh, but that choice may not, I mean, that choice might, I might keep making that choice for another 30 days. I might make that choice for another three years. I don't know. But it's important as a kind of a first order to stay out of that victim mode because it's going to impact what you do next. So when you, you come from that place of like, hey, I'm choosing to come to work here every day for, for, for my own reasons. When you approach that conversation with someone more senior, and you, and you gave beautiful voice to it, Chris, just now, of saying, look, you know, there's this thing that I'm seeing, and I don't really know what to make of it. And, you know, but it doesn't really feel like it's in alignment with our values. Or you know, there, there's a tone that you can bring to those conversations. And, or I'm, I'm finding myself a little bit confused. We talked about emotional transparency before. Mm. Rather than marching into your manager's office and saying, this sucks, change it, or I'm out of here, that's not going to work really well. Uh, find a way to say, to be authentic and say, look, I'm, I'm a little frustrated by this. And you know, we've, we've talked a lot about our values, but... Um, we use this word, but when we do this, it doesn't feel like that, and that bothers me. And there's a difference between that tone right, of being respectful and understanding, hey, you know what? The managers and leaders, they have other pressures that you don't. They have other data that you don't, and it doesn't make them right, but it just gives you the space to approach that conversation a little differently, and you're far more likely to get a, an open ear for if you approach it in that way. And here's the thing. If you don't, if you approach those conversations in a respectful way and you don't get a receptive ear, well, you don't want to work there anyway. You're going to leave anyway. So what's the harm in stepping into that conversation? Right. Framing it in the option of like, okay, this is my choice to work here is really cool because one, if you're acknowledging that it is your choice, it's immediately empowering to you right. because you immediately feel like you're in control of the situation, not in like, I'm, I'm, I'm the shit right now, but like, you know. This is, you're, you're on the team. You, you want to do it for the good of the organization because right. guess what? I want to be here. I want what's best for the organization. So right. it's almost unintentionally like turning it into a non-confrontational moment. Yeah. And even when you are making a statement like you just made, it's almost framed as if it was a question, yeah. which feels very, very soft too. So that's good. I think that's good advice. And if I can just, you know, for the, for the leaders on the receiving end of that, this is one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader in a culture is when you see something like hap that, that happen, when you hear a conversation where somebody who doesn't have a lot of power who doesn't have a lot of authority in the organization actually give voice to something like that? That's gold. You gotta, you like dive in both mm -hmm. hands, both feet, like no wetsuit, like you just go. You go right into that. It's like, hey, that right there, that's what I wanna see more of. You gotta reward that. You have to praise that. You gotta pull that person up and say, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Show them that that's the example that you want more of, because that's the most difficult thing to get in the organization is that information flowing up the org chart, so to speak. Something that we've had a pretty big challenge with, which you'll probably see coming out of this, this week, is we have a lot of very strong beliefs. You know, we're, we're very passionate about what we do, but because people have had such subpar and really unloving workplace experiences, it's right. hard for them to trust us, Yes. even though you show someone over and over again that it's okay to talk about these things. It, you know, it's not just enough to say that, I have an open door, come and talk to me, because right. you're dealing with cultural programming that just goes way yeah. beyond what you've done. And, and that's been... I don't know. I don't even know if that was a question, but I'm just no, acknowledging just, that that's been, been something our, that's been difficult for us. It yeah. has been difficult. It's like you can you can only do as much as you can do with the power dynamic of being right. the owner, you know, and it takes there's definitely it has grown over the last few years noticeably, like from the beginning till now, but at the end of the day there's still new people coming in all the time and right. and to somehow get that idea to sink down to the level where they're <laughs> able and confident to step in. I have a question. Take it. If I can jump in there. Do it. I've had a, a couple instances where people have 
come up to me and express they they were they were brave enough to be like, hey, this is going on. Mm. It doesn't seem like it lines up with what we're about. I don't. I'm really kind of scared to talk to anybody about it, but I feel like I'm going to talk to you. Also, mm. ten other people have been saying the exact <laughs> right. same thing. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you so much for you know coming to talk to me. This is exactly what we want because at the end of the day, you're the person that's going to be able to protect our culture. Like it's going to take the masses of you mm-hmm. and not just us. And then it was this kind of play where I didn't really know what to do. So I was like, hey, this doesn't have to be for me, but if you feel comfortable enough in some way, shape, or form, would you be able to let those other people who have these grievances know that, like, from a friend to a friend, that it's it's okay to bring those up the chain. Mm-hmm, I didn't know right. if that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I think it, it it is it is not only the right thing to do, but I think it's part of the healthy culture that evolves where people say, like, oh, venting isn't productive. Venting is hugely productive. Venting is awesome in limited doses, right? And so what I always encourage people to do and that will becomes part of our training programs is I'm willing, and I think everybody should be willing to hear a grievance once, from somebody, but at some point, whether it's the second time or maybe, you know, it depends on the situation, is to say, hey, look, you know, I really appreciate that you feel like you can trust me and you can share this, but it's really important for us as a culture that that I'm not the end destination. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love for you to go talk and to challenge your colleagues. That's how you have, that's how you get accountability going to say, look, don't, don't just, you know, like I said, I love that you felt safe enough to come with to me with that, but you know, go to Chris and talk with that. I promise. I, I really think he's going to be able to hear you. Um, just you know, do it respectfully and 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 share what's on your mind. It's really important for all of us that we're all leaders of this culture. So I think what, the way you handled it was was lovely, and I would encourage everyone. You know, don't if you find yourself. We we often find in organizations there are like certain leaders who have that open door that everybody goes to, and maybe managers, and they have a they are, those people are having a lot of conversations. That's probably you're probably having too many of those conversations. Mm. You need to push some of that responsibility back to those people to push themselves as a growth opportunity. It's like you look around in our world; everyone's looking for growth opportunities, development opportunities. There's only only so many raises and promotions to go around. That's a growth opportunity. Hey, learning how to speak truth to power. That's a growth opportunity. Let's get on that. Let's right. use that. How do you quantify some of those things in the moment? Because I, they're, they're exactly oh, it's totally easy. Said. It's 7.2. There's, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, so, there's so many things that you can get from working for people who care rather than just more money. Yeah. And I don't know if everyone's really digesting that the whole time. Mm. For instance, if you had someone like Jared, who is, who is a strong presence and a lot of people look up to him, you could work for Jared for a year or two years. You could be subconsciously learning all kinds of things about leadership, communication, dealing with problems, but not actually know that you're digesting yes. that and not actually mm-hmm. have the awareness to look back <clears throat> Excuse me, and be like, oh, yes, I've grown as a person in like leaps and bounds right. from where I was a year ago. Right. And they're just stuck in this, like, I just want more money. Like, how can you bring that to light a little bit? Well, I think there's a couple of pieces to this. Uh, you, you have to bring that dynamic and that reality into the recruiting process, into the onboarding process. Hey, this is the way we do feedback. This is what growth looks like. Here's some of the things that you're probably going to learn in this role. Mm. So, you, it's you know, one of the big pieces comes back to setting expectations. So, I know that I'm not going to get, you know, promoted to, you know, running the roastery in my first five minutes, right? But, like... What, are, what does development and growth look like? And a lot of that, that it, to the degree that you set that up in advance, you're far more likely for people to register that, it's, that they're actually learning. But the, the thing you always have in your pocket is ask, right? Is you can say, hey, look, so, you know, exactly as you said, to be tra- sometimes it's difficult to appreciate. I've had a bunch of jobs in my career where I, I didn't really realize what I was learning until looking back. Um, but let's see if we can get out ahead of that. Like, what are some of the things that you think you might be learning? And if you ask those questions, people will start to do this magical, amazing, wonderful, incredible thing, which is they'll start saying, hey, you know what? I actually used this when I went home uh, with my kids. I, you know, I had this conversation that we had the other day in the office during our one-on-ones. I went home and I actually tried what you did with me. And, you know, my daughter looked at me differently. And so mm. when people start to stitch those connections together for themselves, that's one of the ways that it, that it really grounds. It's difficult to quantify, but you know, there, there is, you know, in terms of the anecdotal stuff that you see when you see people going extra, taking that initiative, you know, stretching beyond 
the things that they're, that they're already good at. That's how you know that it's happening. And then also if they stay, right? People vote with their feet, right? right? If, they, if they like what's happening, by and large, they're going to stay. If they don't like what's happening in the absence of certain life circumstances, they're going to go. Mm-hmm. My gosh. I only, I mean, I only have one more question. It's just around, for me, uh, and, and reading through your book and just hearing your story, what, what are the things that you did to remain confident through all of those just unsure moments? You know, mm-hmm. you're, go, you're, you're building yourself up. You're building this career. You're going for something you fully believe in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I personally just want to know, it's, it's something I think we all at times are going to struggle with, especially if you're trying to do an initiative. Like, what are the things that you lean into to just remain confident, remain driven, and just help you to, like, see the light through all of the turmoil and the ex- exciting turmoil? Mm. Don't get me wrong. It's not all bad, but just you, what, are, what are some advice you have for the people, like, potentially myself or anybody who's trying to step out into this new world and mm. do something where they're like, I believe I can do this, but, man, it sure is feeling, it's feeling hard. It's feeling long. It's feeling two steps forward, one step right. back consistently, yeah. you know? I would say there, there are different things that I've, that I've leaned on over the years. I mean, having some strong relationships, you don't need a bunch of them. Yeah. But having at least one, ideally two or three people in your life that you can go to, that you can just, you can just let it out. And so like, oh my Lord, I have no idea why, I, why did I even do that this morning? Or I just, we just wasted 20,000 bucks on this thing. Whatever the, you know, whatever the th- places where you can just let it rip mm-hmm. right, in your life. Uh, and people who will tell you the truth. I mean, I think there's no, there's nothing more valuable than that. People who will, who will support you and love you and care, for, care for you and with you um, through those moments. Um, for me, you know, as we know, we talked a little bit. There, there are two physical things in my life. Uh, one is surfing. Yeah. Uh, that's been like every, every time I go in the ocean, uh, I have the luxury of living near the ocean. Every time I go in the water, it's kind of like a reset. Whatever stresses that happen to me during the day, that's really, you know, for some people it's mountains. But even like if I'm living in a city or someplace that doesn't, or if I'm someplace like walking, mm. I find walking to be one of the most therapeutic things I can do. It literally like just kind of, if, I have, if I'm overloaded with stress, I'll just walk it off mm-hmm. and I'll just keep walking and keep walking. Um, so those are, those are a couple of things yeah. uh, that I do. And then if I go a little, if I zoom out a little bit is... Um, just try to remember uh, what we're doing here as human beings and thinking about these are, you know, the cheesy things people say when they get, when they get much older of like, well, am I going to regret having taken this chance? Right. And, you know, we have, we, you know, right now, as we sitting here right now, we have a proposal. It's five times larger than the biggest proposal we've ever done. Uh, It's way more money than we've ever put on the bottom line of a proposal than we've ever put out there before. And, we said to the client, we don't know what the response is yet, but we said, look, this is what it is, and this is what it's going to be, and this is the price. And it's terrifying, right? Because what, if they say yes to that, that's going to define our next, like, two years. Uh, and if they say no to it, we're going to be fine. But standing for that in that moment and the, and the confidence, which comes from my team, right? So my team, right. is, they came to me and they said, Jonathan, thank you for standing for that price and putting that price and not discounting it and not taking less than what it what it's going to take to actually do that. So leaning on my team as well around me because that's who it's for. And they're right. the ones who are going to be delivering much more of the work than I am. Um, that's awesome. Hope that's, that's helpful. No, that is helpful. It's, I mean, it's totally ethereal, but being able to actually zoom out and, and you know, you talked a little bit of like your dark night of the soul and like you kind of reference what is kind of a hero's journey. And we've talked about, you know, you're like, that is, it's incredibly important to zoom out and be like, am I going to regret going for this? And I think a lot of people just get so close to things that it's just too much at times to just be able to sit back and be like, okay, actually, yeah, th- this is hard. Yeah. And every step forward might not feel like anything right now. And then you look back and you're like, actually, that was miles and miles and years mm. of time that just, I'm, I'm a different person. I'm far better. Okay. Yeah. That turned out to be a big deal. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. So. I think what, you know, the last thing that I want to say is I think, especially in the, in when people are thinking about entrepreneurialism and founding and starting companies, there's something that gets lost in that conversation for me. And I've had the experience lately of, of not just in our company, but in other companies of people saying like, look, I love being in that number two role. I love being in that number four or five. Like I love being part of a leadership team, but I don't want to be the CEO. And I love that self-awareness and that honesty. Not everybody needs to be, you know, on the bow of the ship, you know, breaking things and, and suffering the consequences. Right. It's a certain personality type, and it's and it's okay to not be that person. The world doesn't need seven billion entrepreneurs, right? The world needs people who are great teammates, who are great leaders. 
And you know, anyone who's never been in a CEO or president role in an organization, if if no one's ever told you this before, like it's not all roses and honey, right? Like Ugh. it's ex- extraordinarily difficult. There's there is there are personal costs to pay. Like if you watch, you know, you see, I just was watching the Model Y unveiling for Tesla, and you know, a lot of people have a lot of things to say about Elon Musk. I happen to be a fan, but uh, you know, he said, look, this was a horrible five years for me. Like I or he said, like the la- in the last year, I aged five years. Uh, because of what it takes, it takes a toll. And so just be honest with yourself. Like, is that you, are you up for that? Maybe you are at certain points of your life, maybe you aren't, it's, and that is okay. Organizations need multiple players in different roles. You know, you guys have a partnership arrangement, it's wonderful if you have people who can work at the same level. But don't set yourself up that like, if, you, if anyone's listening to this and thinking like, well, I've gotta go do my own thing, not necessarily, right? Mm. Maybe, you're, maybe your thing is working with other people. Maybe your thing is supporting someone else and helping them take an idea and make it real in a way that they would never be able to do without you. Yes. That's good knowledge right that's, there. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, that one's a hard one because in the, with social media being so prevalent and the buzzwords just being thrown around like it's no thing, everybody is on this track to where it feels like if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're not blazing your own trail and starting right. your own business, you're just not worth anything. Right. You're not yeah. even living. Like, right. I don't work for anybody else. Like, I fucking do my own thing. Right. I'm an entrepreneur. And right. I'm like, that's cool. Guess what? There's 37 people that work for us, and they're fucking badass. So <laughs> right. I, like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't relate. Right. Um, but yeah, it's cool. I, I think when you say things like that, it's mm. bigger than what you know. Because mm. when someone like you expresses those feelings, it gives people that level of freedom mm. yes. to be like, okay, cool. I can choose myself and work for someone else. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. I can, I can excel, make an awesome contribution, and I don't have to be at the quote-unquote top of the pyramid. So yes. that, that's amazing. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad. Thanks. This is great. Yeah. Thank you Thank for you so taking much. the time. Thank you both. Really, really appreciate it. it. Oh, yeah. I need a handshake after this one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. For sure. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. It's a squishy one. It's a squish. Can you hear the squisher one? How to become the leader your team is waiting for. Wow. This is fun. Fun bonus. Titan right. Yeah. People tend to drift yeah. or whatever.